0: It is wonderful to be here on the first day of the week to worship God in spirit and truth. Amen? Amen. Let's make sure that we keep John in our prayers as we go throughout the coming days. And and, uh, with the doctors and medical staff, that will be treating him. So let's keep him in our thoughts and our prayers. You know, Amos is something that we're going to speak on today. We're going to speak on Amos because, well... We've been going through a series on the Old Testament prophets, and as we uh, look at the prophets of that divided kingdom, you guys remember probably, I don't know, four or five weeks ago now, we looked at the divided kingdom. We kind of did a history lesson in regards to that, uh, to see that the northern kingdom was overtaken in about 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and 586 B.C. approximately, we've seen that the southern kingdom of Judah was overtaken. We looked at Joel, the first prophet that was sent to the northern kingdom, then last week or out to the southern kingdom. And then we were looking at Elijah the last couple of weeks. And so we've been looking at all of these uh, different prophets to see what can we learn. And like I said, we're not going to go through all the the, the minor and and major prophets, but we're just looking at some of them so you can see that, you know, from 2,800 years ago, That's about what we're looking at. It's 2023, right? And the time frame about Amos Amos is about 800 B.C., give or take, right? So 2,800 years ago to the days of the the apostles, right, Uh, during the first century A.D. to 2,300 uh, A.D., there's not a whole lot that's changed. And I want you to be able to see that. I want you to be able to recognize that. As we study out the scriptures here this morning, as we look at the life and the ministry of Amos, there's not a lot that has changed. And so as we go through this, and as we get into the background of Amos, I want you guys to kind of think about that. I want you to consider that. So, you know, we're going to look at a couple passages of scripture in Amos, but we'll also look at a couple passages that Paul wrote to the people of, of Colossus and others. And I want you to see uh, the, the verbiage isn't all that different when you think about amos he wasn't of a of a priestly line he wasn't of a prophetic line amos like many of god's prophets were shepherds he was called to go from the southern kingdom of judah where he lived about five five miles southwest of uh, jerusalem he was called to go from there to go to the northern kingdom and when he got to the northern kingdom the first town that he comes to and the town that it's believed that he prophesied in was a town called bethel and he went to bethel because bethel was the sanctuary of the northern kingdom's pagan gods. The gods and their temples that they worshipped and they worshipped in, that's where it was. It took place in Bethel. And during the bold proclamation of Amos' message to Israel and the surrounding nations, Judah, the southern kingdom, also found out that they too would be punished during the same time. And so, Or during the time uh, in in the future years if they don't repent. But with Judah's message came not just knowledge of restoration, but it also came of knowledge of the messianic kingdom in regards to the southern kingdom of Judah. If they were willing to repent, if they're willing to show godly sorrow, if they're willing to, to do what God has required of all of us from all time. You go back to the patriarchal dispensation. There was law. It was oral law, but there was law. God had expectations for his creation. You look at the Mosaic dispensation. We see that there's law. There's both oral and written law. And we, then we get to the, new, uh, the Christian era, and we have law. God has always provided law, uh, right and wrong, standards of morality for his people, for his creation. And that's what we need to understand is that when we talk about God's people, we're talking about all people. For who here was not created by Jehovah God? For we were all knit in our mother's womb. He knew us before we ever came to this earth. And so Amos, he prophesied his message in about 756 B.C. And it's about 166 years, give or take, about 160, 170 years have gone by since the split of the northern and the southern kingdom that we talked about four or five weeks ago. And Amos, he was the first of the 8th century prophets. And this 8th century, it's pretty interesting time frame. If you go back and you were to study it out, you're going to find out that, you know, that 8th century, when Amos uh, preached and when, and when he prophesied, it's not a whole lot different than America today. Yeah. Think about that. I want you to see this. As we go through this, if, any, if, you, if you don't leave with anything else, I want you to know that the message that Amos preached can be preached today in the United States of America. Yeah. And so you look at this. Israel, you have King Jeroboam II had extended his borders all the way back to the promised limits that had been given all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, King Uzziah uh, in Judah, uh, he had extended his borders all the way to the river of Egypt. And once again, the people of God had all of the land that was promised to Abraham that you go back and you learn about in Genesis 15. They were very rich at this time, both in the north and in the south. It was a a period of unparalleled prosperity. The only time that they had more prosperity, that they were richer and more powerful, were, were in the days of Solomon. But those days are long gone now. And now we get to see here 166 years, about 170 years after the division between the northern and the southern kingdom, we see that they've gathered back all of the land that they lost. They have all of the military power. They have all of the prosperity. And what's the point? The point is that they were being driven by the riches. Their riches had driven them to to do everything they could to satisfy all of their selfish desires to satisfy their fleshly desires. It was a time when uh, they had all the military they needed, a time when they had all the money that they needed, a time when they had all the time that they needed. Does that sound familiar? Do we have the most powerful one of the most powerful militaries in the world? Are we not one of the richest nations that have ever have ever existed, right? Do we not have time, right? And and and, and resources to do to really fulfill whatever your heart's desire is? Do you see that when you look at this message about what Amos was preaching to, it's not a whole lot different than what we're going to see in 21st century America. Brethren, they began to spoil themselves with all kinds of sexual immorality. And there was social oppression of the poor. The rich had one purpose, and their, their purpose was to become richer and to satisfy every desire that they had. If there was ever a time like today, it was 8th century B.C. It was the time that Amos preached. I mean, Amos spoke out against the sins of Israel. Well, what were some of those sins? The oppression of the poor, judges that could be bribed, dishonest businessmen and their dishonest business practices, righteous people that were being sold into slavery, sexual immorality was rampant, they threatened the prophets of God to not preach no longer in the name of the Lord or they will be punished, the nation was full of materialism and greed, religious corruption was rampant, Does any of this sound familiar? Does any of this sound familiar? Amos was sent to cry out against such things. Amos was sent to denounce the sins of Israel. He was sent to denounce the sins of the neighboring nations of Israel. And to make a plea of repentance. And not even Judah was going to escape God's punishments, we learn in Amos. Brethren, you look at the scriptures here this morning, and the sins and the shortcomings of all people must be judged according to God's moral standards. This morning I was talking with the junior high and the high school kids about what is truth. Can you know truth? And I asked them a couple weeks ago, who is God? Is there a God? Why does that question matter? Well, it matters because it bleeds over into the to the to the conversation of what is truth. Well, if all of us, if truth is truly subjective and we all get to just do what's right in our own minds, you're going to see how there would be just, there would be anarchy, there would be chaos in the streets if all people decided what was right and what was wrong for themselves. There has to be a standard of morality, and there is a standard of morality. Whether you believe it or not doesn't make it untrue. There's a standard of morality, you can know the truth, and Jesus says the truth will set you free. Brethren, you look at the words of the scriptures here this morning, and we know that the scriptures tell us that all people of the earth must repent or perish. For God has overlooked the times of ignorance, doesn't it tell us in Acts 17? He's overlooked the times of ignorance. He now declares that all people everywhere must repent. We must show godly remorse. We must turn away from sin and fleshly desires and we must turn to God and His moral standards. Brother, remember, it's the mission of God's prophet to announce a pending doom on all nations and all people who choose not to repent. And it's the mission of every Christian disciple, every follower of Jesus, to take the message out into the world that there's a better way. And if you continue to reject God, reject His message, there's going to be peril that is going to come, and there's going to be eternal destruction if you don't turn away from your uh, turn away from your worldly ways. And maybe you don't have to use that phraseology, but really, is the message any different than Amos's message? It's not any difference. We are to take God's message with love. To the people of the world, and let them know that if you continue in your worldly ways, you're going to be dead spiritually. You're going to die spiritually. We are to we are to uh, to to plead with them to to turn from their evil ways, to turn from their ungodly ways, and to turn back unto God. That's the message of the prophets of the divided kingdom, and they, and as I said, they spoke in a time that wasn't all that much different than ours. And so, brethren, we look at the scriptures here this morning. In the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse 4 and 5, Jeremiah tells us, I sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again. Do not do this abominable thing which I hate. You see, he's telling his people, Israel, and the neighboring nations, to not do the abominable things that he hates. We know that the scriptures teach that there are seven things that God hates. And we are all held according to that standard. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we'll all be held to the same standard. And the people need to know what that standard is. So love your neighbors enough to speak the truth to them. Love your coworkers enough to speak the truth to them. And your extended family and your friends. So that way they can know that there's a God. He is real. He has his word. His word is truth. And it can set us free if we're willing to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. You see, brother. Brethren, we have to understand that just like in the days of God's prophet, we have no one to blame but ourselves for the consequence that sin is going to bring into our lives. Not only are there consequences here on earth, but there's eternal spiritual consequences that we need to be aware of. Amos speaks of the doom of the sinful Israel. He speaks of the doom that's going to come upon the, the, the children of the northern kingdom if they don't show godly remorse and repent. And they don't know it yet, but they're only looking at about another 30 years when they're going to go by the way of oblivion, so to speak. For they're going to be taken captive in approximately about 30 more years, and they're never going to come back into existence as the northern kingdom. They're never going to come back into existence, those 10 tribes, as God's chosen people. And we know that later on, that 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 we'll see that spiritual Israel and spiritual Judah will come back into existence, right? And we know that God will then welcome all those of future generations uh, that, that are going to re- to repent and to turn back to God. We know that, but Israel, as as was known by the fifth or by the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, would fade from the existence uh, forevermore at that point. And so, brethren. We look at the scriptures here this morning, we know about the eternal consequences, but the universal plea of Amos is for all people to repent because God is not just the God of Israel, but he's the God of all creation. In Amos chapter 14 or chapter 4 in verse 13, The scriptures tell us that we are to behold for he who forms the mountain and creates the winds and decides to man and and declares to man what his thoughts are. He who makes dawn into darkness, he who treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Brethren, you look at this and we understand that God governs all nations. God governs all nations with the same principles of morality. With the same principles of righteousness. We need to understand that sin can and often does go unpunished. Does it not? Many times people will look at certain individuals. And they'll say why is that individual getting away with it? Why do they seem to be so blessed? But we need to understand that sin uh, often does go uh, unpunished for a time. But all people must ultimately repent or perish. Whether they receive judgment in this life or the next... The bottom line is judgment's coming. And it's coming for all of God's creation. It's coming for all of God's people. That's why Jesus says, tells his apostles to go. Go where? Go out into the world. To teach them to do what? Obey all that I've commanded you. Why? Because if you don't, judgment's coming. And Amos is trying to get the people of Israel to understand this. He's trying to get the surrounding nations to understand this. And we as Christian disciples need to get the people of our day to understand judgment is coming. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are crystal clear. The overall message of Amos is simple. There is no possible way to escape the consequence of persistent sin. When 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 you have habitual sin, when you practice sin, if you no longer repent and show godly remorse... There no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. Brothers and sisters, we all have free will, do we not? And we must use it wisely. For From the very moment that Israel and Judah divided and King Jeroboam 166 years prior set up the golden calf, what did he do? He made a choice. He says he made a choice to, to, to create a new religion and a new standard of morality for the northern tribes. And then later kings introduced Baal worship. And they introduced uh, Canaanite idolatry and sexual immorality with the priestesses and, and the male and the female prostitutes in the temples. And there was all forms of immorality. And then there was the Asherah poles and all the Asherah worship. You see, brethren, God's people couldn't have gotten any further away from God than they were at this very moment in 800 B.C. They had all the military might. They had all the money and they had the power and they had the prestige. And they had everything that you could possibly have wanted and they used it to go turn away from God instead of drawing closer to God and giving thanks for those blessings. Brethren, how many times do we in America and how many, for how many generations and decades now have we seen that we are getting further and further and further away from God as a nation and as a people when we have all the money, we have all the power, we have the fame and the prestige and everything we could possibly need as a nation? And what do we, use? we, we do? We, turn, we use it as a, as a way to turn away from God. Instead of giving thanks to God for his great many blessings. As a nation, brethren, we need to repent and we need to turn back to God. And that that's going to take me and you and every one of us to go out to speak to our friends and neighbors. Uh, to speak to our co-workers in love. To let them know that there is judgment coming. And that the God of all creation who created you and created me has a, mo- a moral standard for our very lives. And guess what? The message isn't going to be popular. People aren't going to like what you have to say. Did they like what Amos had to say? Did they like what Elijah and Elisha had to say? Did they like what Jesus had to say? You see, brethren, the people are going to reject the message more than they're going to receive it and accept it. But that doesn't mean you quit. That doesn't mean you stop taking the message. I mean, you go back and you think of Jonah. Didn't Jonah, Wasn't Jonah given a task? Jonah didn't want to do the task. Well, we know the story of Jonah, but the point was God said go, and he expected him to go. God said for us to go, and he expects for us to go. You see, brethren, there's not a whole lot of difference. There's just not a whole lot of difference when you study out the prophets of the divided kingdom. And as I said, you look at all the major prophets, you look at all the minor prophets. When did they appear? During the divided kingdom. And we see how God was sending them all to do what? To get his people, his creation, to turn back to him with loyalty. And so, brethren, God sent both Elijah, he sent Elisha to the northern kingdoms to no avail. He sent Amos and he sent Hosea to the northern kingdom to no avail. And we'll look at Hosea next week, by the way. And Amos denounced their greed. He denounced their dishonesty and their merciless brutality of the poor. And when Hosea and Amos prophesied in the northern kingdom, they saw that the nation was full of just vulgar language and stealing and various injustices and oppression, idolatry, adultery, fornication, murder. The Israelites then, at the preaching of Amos, they shot back this statement. But we are the children of God. As if that to make it all right. As if saying, after giving a whole list of all of these just abominations, but we are the children of God. you know any Christians who have that kind of thought process? That maybe they think a little bit too much of themselves and where they're at at that time and in their faith. When they're practicing sin, sin is uh, very evident in their lives. But they say, but I'm a child of God. You know, Dave, you have your God, I have my God. You worship your way, I'll worship my way. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. But at the end of the day, we're all going to end up in the same place. You ever hear anything like that from Christendom? You ever hear anything like that coming out of the church? I've heard it. I've had Bible studies with other Christians who will tell me when I show them book, chapter, verse, well, that's what you believe. That's your interpretation. No, that's literally what it says. And so you can look at the scriptures here this morning, brethren. And we understand that in Amos chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, I want you to see the statement was even more, that statement by uh, God's people, that we are God's chosen people to reject the message of Amos, is even more reason that the, uh, Amos needed to preach. Yeah. You know, in, in Amos chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, he says, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, you sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up out of the land of Egypt, you only have I chosen among all the families of the earth, and therefore I will punish you for all of your iniquity. I will punish you for all of your sins. For in every generation, God calls on mankind to take the poor uh, and, and, and care for the poor that's amongst them, And one of the more grievous sins besides the idolatry was the the oppression of the poor. For the rich men, the noblemen of the Jews were doing nothing but oppressing the poor. They corrupted the courts... To deny due process to the, those who are least fortunate amongst them, they defrauded the poor with poor business prax, uh, with, with, uh, with negative business transactions. They raised rents to unfair levels, they collected unjust taxes, they tampered with weights and measurements, and they sold inferior merchandise to those who were needy, knowing there was nothing they could do about it. And you see, brethren, in the face of such injustice and lack of mercy, the Lord roared against Israel. His anger roared against Israel. And this kind of makes me think of some New Testament passages. And I think of James in James chapter 2 and verse 6 through 9. And James telling, is James speaking to Christians? And James tells the Christians, but you have dishonored the poor man. It is, not the, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Does that kind of sound like something 800 years previous in Amos? That's basically the message that Amos was preaching, part of it. And he says, uh, if, if, in verse 8, If however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says you'll be doing well if you do so. But if you show partiality, James tells us through the Holy Spirit that you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Brethren, in the times of Amos and in the times of Hosea, as they were preaching and as they were prophesying, Jewish idolatry and materialism was was just running rampant. It makes me think of what the Apostle Paul had to say to the people of Colossus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, "...put to death what is earthly in you." And notice the list. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death impurity, passion, and evil desires. Put to death death covetousness and greed, which equates to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. Is that not the same message that Amos was taking? You know, 800 years prior to the northern kingdom of Israel, 30 years before their downfall, 30 years before their demise at the hands of the Assyrians, when they were taken into captivity, never to return again. Brothers and sisters, just like in the days of Amos, there are many people in society today who treat the poor with contempt. As Christians, we must make sure that we always treat people with love and mercy, Amos, mentions, Amos also mentions that the men of Israel would not listen to the prophets. And that they would not listen to the prophets that God had sent to them. And even, even John and, and, and Paul and, and Jesus, which of the prophets did you not kill? Right? Think about it. He's speaking, the prophets were speaking to God's chosen people who said, We have God as, you know, we we are God's chosen people. We are God's children, and yet we kill all God's messengers. We don't listen to the message, and we kill God's messengers, but we're God's chosen people. You see, brethren, you look at the scriptures here this morning, we can see the same type of mindset. We can see the same type of materialism and sexual desires and greed in American society today. By those who are in the church and outside the church. And many of those in Christendom who say, that's why they say, you have your beliefs, I have mine. You worship your God, I'll worship my God. As if God's different. He's different for all the different denominations. You see, brethren, just like in the days of Amos, there are many people in society that treat not only the poor with contempt, but they're, they're involved in all of these different fleshly desires that the Bible uh, specifies. I think about uh, Timothy. I think about Paul's writing to young Timothy as he sent him out uh, to to all the various uh, churches that he had planted. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 through 4, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say to Timothy. Because there's a warning here. There's a prophecy here. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom to do what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to do what? To reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So as I've told you to love your family enough and your friends enough and your co-workers enough and your neighbors enough, you love them to do what? To reprove them, to rebuke them, to teach them. with great patience and instruction. You do so with love and mercy and patience, but you don't allow sin to go unchecked. You don't allow it to go, um, I don't want to say unpunished because it won't go unpunished, but we need to be the ones who are bringing the message to them of what sin is. Can you know the truth and will the truth set you free? Yes, it will. Brethren, for the time will come when they, he's talking about Christians here, for the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrines, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves uh, teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Paul is writing to Timothy on how he's supposed to conduct himself in the churches that he was going around that Paul planted. Timothy's talking with other Christians, right? And then you look at Christendom today. We are to take the message out. And we are to reprove and rebuke those who, who basically pervert the message of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at this. Mankind isn't a whole lot different today than it was 2,800 years ago. When the disciples of Christ bring the truth of God's word, people are going to reject it more than they're going to accept it. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. I just want to make sure we're clear on that because if you go back and you look at the greatest of the prophets... They failed more than they succeeded. You go back and you look at Jesus, the son of God. Did he convert most people or did most people reject him? And we see that on the day the, the days leading up to Pentecost in the upper room, how many people were in it? Do you remember? Did it was it was it a couple hundred thousand of Jesus's disciples that were in the upper room? No, there's 120. After 3 years of ministry, there's 120. So what's the point? We take the message out, and God just wants us to know, God wants us to share with his people that, that he loves them, that he's there for them, and that he's ready, to, he's ready to forgive them. He's ready to bring them into the pasture, bring them back into the sheepfold if they're only willing to repent. Repent. So brothers and sisters, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross daily and follow after me." The key phrase, the key word there is daily. We are to take up our cross daily, to follow after God, and brethren, if we do these things, then we know that God will be pleasing and we will be pleasing in God's sight. The last, and I'm kind of speeding past this. I know I'm way past time. But I want us to look at one more passage of Scripture. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a passage of Scripture that I love. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? He says, So run in such a way as you will win. Paul's telling in verse 24 there of chapter 9 that we need to follow the rules of the race. We need to follow the rules as God sets forward in in the race of our faith. And he goes on to say in verse 25 that everyone who competes in the games, they exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. And then he goes on, brethren, and he tells us that therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. And I show restraint. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself shall not become disqualified. The point that I want you to take away from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is discipline and self-control. Discipline is training to ensure proper behavior. And self-control is simply showing restraints. And so as Christians that are guided by the Holy Spirit of God, we need to... We need to, to, to discipline our hearts and our minds, discipline our bodies to, to ensure proper behavior and to show self-control in all things. You see, brethren, God expects all humanity to live according to the law of Christ. Because it's the law of Christ that, that we are all going to be judged by as we learn about in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. So brothers and sisters, if you want to win the spiritual, if you want to win the race, the spiritual race of your life, then your spiritual desires must be stronger than your fleshly desires. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Notice the word isn't suggestions, it's commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's If is a conditional word. And so brethren, you must study out the message of the prophets. And when you study out the message of the prophets, you quickly learn and realize that the messages can be preached today in 21st century America. And if you are willing to be God's prophet, so to speak, if you're willing to be a true disciple of Christ, then there shouldn't be anybody that you're unwilling to speak to about your faith, and about the love of God that you have. We need to tell all people, like the Apostle Paul when he was on Mars Hill, we need to teach people today who God is again. We need to teach them who God is, what his standard is, what his expectation is, that you can know who you are, and that you can know what your purpose is. We need to teach all that we come in contact with, all of this information, because it has eternal consequences If you're hearing this message today on the prophet Amos, and and you have questions, please get with me afterwards. Or in the days days ahead, I would love to sit down and speak with you about it. But at the end of the day, we understand that the message of God needs to get out into the communities. The message of God needs to get out into uh, all of the, uh, basically into all the relationships that we have with people. And as we get that message to them, do it with love. Do it with patience, but make sure you speak the Word of God. Don't sugarcoat it like much of Christianity wants to do. Don't give them the cotton candy uh, uh, lessons. Speak to them in love but truth. And allow the truth, the hard truth, to prick the hearts of mankind. If you're hearing this message today, and you're not a child of God, but you desire to become a child. You wish to have your sins washed away. You could be baptized here this morning. The baptistry is ready. The water is warm, I hope, and it's ready for you. You can have your sins washed away. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you can come forward as Patrick sings our song of invitation.